be this morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you. Am I on? Check. Okay. I began in this church 63 years ago tomorrow. So uh, we did a little poll the last time. Uh, I took like a 34-year-old or 34-year break, but I'm back, okay? And it is so good to be back here. My wife, Colleen, and I, she said I'm not allowed to point her out, so I won't. You guys caught that, didn't you? So, <laughs> and she's going to say, I asked you not to point me out. She's right back there, but I don't want to point her out, okay? So I won't. Dear Lord, help us. Father, uh, come and use this, this mess of a guy up here to communicate your heart. That's the bottom line. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife and I were married in this church. Um, we were here for an extended period after that, moved to Akron, been all over the country, uh, came back up to Strongsville, Olmstead Falls about 15, 16 years ago now, and about a year ago plus, we began to feel this quiet call back to the city I said I would never die in. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I will or not, but we are back and we feel so called, we feel so privileged to be a part of you as a church family. And I just wanna encourage you, there's probably more potential sitting here for lives being affected that we could possibly dream of. So in a way, I guess I wanna ask us collectively to dream together this morning. Now there's a quote, why don't you bring it up, John? Uh, do you have the one, uh, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And if I would have known that quote was there, I would have built the message around it maybe, because that's really what it comes down to. But you will find in your bullets, I'm gonna do a couple things right at the beginning. You're gonna find in your bullets in something called my risk list. If you could take that out, please, that would be great, okay? My risk list. One of the greatest challenges, and I'm speaking this morning on a sermon simply titled, Lost, Who Will Stand? One of the greatest challenges, Scott will tell you this, any pastor will tell you this, is we, we preach to inspire, we preach to engage, we preach to see people move forward in God. And the challenge is always that people say, oh, that was a good message, that was funny, or this or that, I remember that. And that's awesome. We have to put some spice in the food, in the meal. But the bottom line is, and Scott and I have had long conversations on this. You know what? I really get to do this. Can we give our pastor a shout out? Like, where's he at? I just saw him a second ago. Scott Brooks, where are you at? Is he still in here? All right, let's give him a shout out, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Brooks. Uh, if you do not have a risk list, our pastor is handing them out to you. What is a risk list? Well, on the front, it's about a list of people. And I mean, my, my list is already filled. I might have to get another one. These are people who don't know Jesus Christ, who are in your sphere of influence, Ideally, in this area, ideally that you might also invite to Alpha. This isn't a sermon about Alpha. It's a sermon simply called Lost Who Will Stand. But um, it's ultimately, God has given us this incredible tool of Alpha. In a nutshell, somewhere around 30 million people in 100 plus countries have gone through Alpha. 
with literally millions coming to know Christ. Let me cast some vision for you. I was in London two years ago this coming September for the kickoff of a night of Alpha in the church where Alpha began. Dark, secular, cold London. Um, First of all, I was there that Sunday morning and it was standing room only with about 4,000 people. I had a chance to stand outside Alpha, and that's just one of 13 services in that city. There is a major spiritual awakening happening so under the radar in London that's so beautiful. Uh, About 100,000 people, some church experts would say, has been the growth in the body of Christ in greater London in the last few years, and they would attribute a majority of that to about 20% of the churches, the market share, whatever you want to call it, of churches in Greater London. I'm not saying France. I'm not saying all over. But there's been growth in the church because people are inviting people to a warm, safe place where they can be loved and ask questions and be cared about. It's called Alpha. So that's what we're talking about in a sense this morning of what the action I hope a lot of you would take. But here's the bottom line, my risk list. On the other side of it, and this is something, some of you remember Steve Carter, he was in a few uh, months ago. Uh, He gave a sermon uh, called, I think, This Invitational Life or Living a Risk or whatnot. What does it look like? And go to that slide if you could, John. The risk factor. And the question here is, what does it look like to risk it all to see people come to know Jesus Christ? Now, if I want to mix a verse in there, like, well, isn't there a scripture? Yeah, it is the heart of it all. We're called to love our wives. We're called to raise our kids in a godly way. If you're a young person, there are things that you are called to, etc., etc. But at the core of the Christian life, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. Take that verse, combine it with this grid. Uh, We're going to be asking you kind of like to live and interact with this list for hopefully weeks and months and years to come. Because I believe with all my heart, just the number of good, want to grow in Jesus people in this church that we can revolutionize in a quiet, grace-filled, love-filled way, this city. Because I'm also convinced that um, our greatest problem right now in this country is not divisive politics. Our greatest problem isn't whatever party you want to talk about. Our greatest problem isn't drug addiction. Our greatest problem isn't human trafficking. Our greatest problem is this, we live too small. We live too small. And God wants to kind of explode our hearts with love for people who don't know him. Can I get an amen from somebody? That was weak, but we'll go with it, okay? Come on, come on. That's who we are. That's the people of God. So we've got the risk list. The title of the message is Lost Who Will Stand. I want to focus today on what it looks like to love people who don't know Jesus. Turn to Luke 15, or it's up on the screen. The tax collectors and sinners, verse 1, 
were all gathering around to hear him. So it's kind of like the people that I think the church is to love and connect with. And then there's a whole other group of people, not our enemies, not bad people, but people who had gotten off track. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees were in a very real way what can happen to each and every one of us. It's not just mission drift, it's heart drift. And what Jesus was doing, he's with this group of people, and he was kind of blown away, to be honest with you. You know how your mother, when she really wants to get your attention, my mom would be Bruce James Farley? Jesus saw the attitude of these Pharisees that he just didn't tell. And when Jesus tells a story, you're about to get a smack on the head, okay? That's just the way it is. So Jesus doesn't just tell one story, he tells three stories because he was so blown away and I think brokenhearted by the lack of love from those at his time, obviously pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, but this was kind of the church before it was birthed, hopefully. And I think you can say, well, these were Pharisees, they were steeped in Judaism, they were steeped in this, they were steeped in that. You know what, we get steeped in all sorts of stuff. And Jesus says, I want you to love me. Obviously love the people of the body of Christ and those that are in your sphere that you're to care for, encourage, etc. But then if we're on mission with him, we're to love people who are far from God. If you're here this morning, you think, you know what, I feel pretty far from God. We're going to all come up and give you a group hug at the end. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke, okay? I'm waiting for you guys to loosen up a little bit more, all right? Um, I would do that with the group hug, but we won't do that this morning. I don't want to scare anybody. So here's Jesus. He's like, oh, my gosh, i got to tell three stories to get through to these people. It's kind of interesting the way he does it. Uh, I'm not even going to try and dive into the myriad of truths that you can draw out of this scripture in Luke 15. But let's go to the next slide. First of all, he talks about lost sheep. And I'd really encourage you, and it helps to you, I think, to get more from it. Let's read it all together, okay? Can we do that? Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, we're, we're getting there, okay? We're getting there. Suppose one of you, everybody together, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. I can get quiet, and then I, I don't hear anything, like crickets, so help me here, okay? Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, at this point, I imagine the Pharisees were kind of thinking, He's telling stories about sheep herders. I don't think it was breaking through yet. So then he even takes it down to a more intimate, maybe heartfelt level with this. He talks about a lost coin. Suppose a woman, read it together with me, please. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, 
Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. I was out cleaning the car this week, uh, kind of. Our cars are so in need of cleaning right now. But I was digging under the seat, and I found this quarter. Also found two pennies and a nickel or something. If I walked in, and you're going to have to hear what Jesus is doing here. If I walked in and said, honey, I found a quarter under the seat. She'd go, that's nice, honey. You don't have a lot of excitement in your life right now. (laughs) It's just, well, maybe you're right, dear. But you see, that wasn't this lady. When we read in the amount of the money, etc., I'm going to infer some things that are pretty, probably pretty safe to infer in this culture. She was probably a woman on her own in a culture that that was a pretty tough place to be in. Number two, the coin she was referring to was at least a day's wages that she'd already lost. And the fact of mentioning the ten coins that may, we can safely interpret that she has lost one-tenth of all she has between her and the street. So when you begin to look at that, and some of the people are thinking, I know a lady like that. I mean, back as Jesus was telling the story, because he goes from a sheep, that's an interesting story, to a coin like, and maybe a few of the people there that were listening to him were actually beginning to empathize, like, that would be a real drag to lose a tenth of your income, and that's it. But then I think Jesus, in a really good way, goes for the juggler. He says, what about this story? What about a lost son? And let me put this in the context. When the kid, this is the story of the prodigal son, but I don't think it's at all about a prodigal son. It's about the huge heart of a father. That's what the story is about. When this father, earlier in this chapter, watches his son go over the hill, He doesn't get a text that night, hey, Dad, safe and sound. There's a sense that it was probably months, if not years. And what Jesus is trying to bring home is you see how the sheep herder wants to go after the one that's lost? See how this poor, desperate widow wants to recover and find that coin? Well, that's how I want my people to feel about people that are far from me. And boys, if you haven't gotten it yet, that's what Jesus called the Pharisees. He really called them boys. Now, boys, if you have not gotten this yet, let me teach you right here, okay? He talks about a son wandering off. The father has no idea where he is. And this language, and especially we're going to transition over to the message in the next part of this verse When he was still a long way off, read along with me, his father saw him. Everything he's saying here, yeah, I know, I tell you to read along and then I'm going to interrupt every part of it, all right? Everything he's talking about here, he's saying, look, guys, I want you to know a God who is so awesome and so loving and so compassionate-filled that when his son, who he should be angry at and he should be this at, When he sees him coming over the hill, your dad who is known as God, your father in heaven, he's not indifferent. About time, I knew you'd come to your senses. He runs. His heart pounds. That's what happens. We have a lot of heart pounding moments at Alpha. 
on God's part. Because he's watching people come over the hill and come back, maybe for the first time, come to him. Listen to the language here. Don't even bother to read with me because I'll probably throw it off again, okay? The son started his speech. I got a speeding ticket two years ago. It took me somewhere around three months until the credit card bill came that I paid the ticket with to confess to Colleen that I'd gotten the speeding ticket. Worst thing of all, I was on my way to see a Catholic priest when I got the ticket, so I confessed to him, okay? So I got it covered somewhere there. But anyhow, and I'm like, oh, honey, I had to drive faster. This is what the son starts to do. How many of you men have ever made up your apology to your wife when you're busted before you talk to her? Raise your hand. Any men that have done that? There are an incredible amount of liars in this room, okay? This, I'm, I hate to bust you out. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to ever be called your son again. Go ahead, next slide. But the father, and this is out of the message right here, the father wasn't listening. His son was home. He was calling, quick, bring a clean set of clothes, dress him, put the family ring. Once again, so much depth here that we can't get into. But it wasn't like, oh, look, the kid's home. He's welcome back into the family. So glad to have him home. And see, the beauty is, Jesus is saying here, I want you to have dad's heart to people that don't know dad. If I could boil it down that simple, everything else about the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is I want my people to be engaged with joy with excitement in seeing people come to know me. There's a great quote from a pastor. He says, you've never locked eyes with another human being who isn't valuable to God. When that fact grips you to the core of your being, you'll never be the same. You will live in awe of the scope and depth and breath of God's love, and you'll treat people differently. I can just tell you story after story, not of how well I have loved people, but the times, and I can't, I don't have time, but the times that God has just deeply convicted me recently. You're just not loving like I want you to love. And my heart has been, God, help me to grow in loving people far from you. I don't know if you've had the blessing I have of knowing any people in your life that are like that. Let me paint my picture, okay? I grew up in this church. I sold $5 out of the offering plate when I was 15 for a nickel bag of pot. Uh, the, the mixed reaction, that part is always interesting. What are you doing up there speaking? You're going to hell. It's just like, I'm not bragging about it. I was, I was like the lost of the lost of the lost of the lost of the lost. Growing up in this town, and I remember one day, about 15 years old, and I'm wandering up what is 94, but downtown, whatever it's called right in that stretch of downtown, Maine and High, I guess, that would be fitting. Um, if you missed that one, it's a throwaway, okay? 
I'm walking up the street stoned out of my mind. I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. I've grieved over those wasted years, but I was the kid that didn't hold a lot of promise for the Jesus people, straight up. I was walking with my buddies. We were on the side of the street across from what's now called, John, somebody help me out, the restaurant, Alexandries. I always want to say, uh, but it's Alexandries, okay? So I was across the street from there, walking north, in front of what used to be called Isley's, and I remember, and this is with tremendous respect for diversity, and I want to say my heart is that we would only continue to grow in diversity because this was one of like two or three black families, African-American families in our city, And this is a guy that probably shouldn't have stepped out of his boundaries, if you would, especially then. But this was a guy that understood God's heart. His name was Ronnie. And I didn't know Ronnie other than seeing him. And i got to paint a picture for you. Ronnie not only was African-American in Wadsworth, Ronnie was right about my height. He had this big barrel chest and he had an undervite that stuck out like this. Now, how many of you, when I say that name, you know this person? There's at least a few. They will attest to this, okay? This is how Ronnie walked. And he, I mean, that's just, that was his whatever, his way. And I barely knew him. I, I knew who he was. I mean, It was not easy for him to do anything he did in the city because of the degree of racism, et cetera, especially at that point in time. But he didn't let any of that get in his way. And he walks up to me. I barely knew him. I'd seen him around town, stoned out of my mind on High Street. And he walks up to me, and he bends over, and he goes, I'm praying for you, Bruce Farley. And he walks on. And like, that's what we would describe in two words as a buzzkill, okay? It was just, uh, whoa, what is going on here? All right, about two or three months later, it was really weird because if any of you have ever seen that movie, The Truman Show, it was like on loop. I'm walking up the street, same side of the street, probably my two buddies because we were all so messed up, we, nobody else would hang out with us. And we're walking up the street together, and there he is again. And he walks up, and it was always, I'm, I know memory changes things, but it was always, he bends over and he goes, Jesus loves you, Bruce Folly. I'm like, whoa, this is like stealth attack Jesus freak. What's going on here? It all kind of went on steroids a few months later. I'm not sure if it was that fall or the following fall. We were hanging out at Franco's restaurant after the Friday night bro, uh, ball game. Franco's, there we go. That's Alexandri's. That was back in the day when it was a real restaurant, okay? And if you own it, I'm sorry, okay? But, and I was sitting there on a Friday night. Football game was over, sitting with the team. I was with the band, but we were a really cool marching band. And they let us, the, we were so cool that the football team let us actually hang out with them. I mean, that's, that's some cred right there. And I'm in my usual 16, 17-year-old state, maybe at this point, high as a kite, and all of a sudden the door to the restaurant walks up, uh, swings open, and this guy walks in, and it's Ronnie. I kid you not, I knew he was coming for me. <laughs> but I didn't know how big he was coming. 
he walks up to me and he bends over and he says, I'm going to pray if you were some chicken tonight, Bruce Farley, and you drop your pants, an angel is going to bite you on the ear. And I'm like, and that's, I hear, you're all like, he said, what? How do you think I was feeling? 15-year-old kid, 16, 17. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is like Jesus freak on steroids and on super steroids. And it was just blowing my mind. Ronnie was a guy who understood that rescued people rescue people. Going back to that bookmark, if you want to look at the other side of it from the sermon we heard a few months ago. He probably had, I don't know if he called that incident in Franco's restaurant an invitational success story or failure or what. Uh, he had a God story about every four minutes as far as I know. And he understood prayer because he prayed like no tomorrow. See, here was a guy, and I've already said it, it's, there were a ton of reasons that he shouldn't have reached out to me. But he did. And what happened then was all of a sudden your girlfriend is pregnant when you're 20 years old. Whoa, we got to change some stuff. Ronnie's there. So what are you going to do, Bruce? It wasn't this marry the girl. It was this quiet, there's a God who cares. And I went from being this stoner, freaked out, 15-year-old kid, to all of a sudden being firmly, not on Ronnie's radar, God bless Ronnie, but God's radar. But the reason I was on God's radar is because there was a man who took so many risks to love me. He brought me a Christmas present of a, I like classical music, he bought me an album. I mean, he was just loving on me. He understood this one thing. Lost people matter to God. There are lost people, sons, daughters, co-workers, schoolmates. And there are people that I can't reach, that Scott can't reach, that JoLynn can't reach. And I'm telling you, we could shake, we will. I'm going to almost like prophesy it. I like that word. We can change the city if we pray, if we realize how rescued we've been. Maybe it's not as easy for you. I mean, I was, if Ronnie Moore and a couple other people, Jim Bryder, Joe's wife, etc., hadn't reached out, I believe I would have been long dead. They cared. And it's just, God, that song we sang, A Simple Pursuit. Lord, take us back. When I grew up in this church, we cut our teeth on it. You win people to Jesus. I mean, it was a little bit cookie cutter, this, that, or the other, but you love people. And it's amazing, Ronnie so exemplified that. When I was moving back to Wadsworth just a few months ago, July, August, it just hit me one day. I was, reading a, I was reading a book, actually, This Invitational Life, the book this risk factor comes from. And I was just freshly challenged. I want to be used by God. Now, let me be very, if I'm going to be a little bit confrontive, I'm going to do it. Invite some people to Alpha, and usually the response you get is one of two. I don't know any people 
who are disconnected from God. The other one is usually they would say no, which I think you just refused God for them. So we won't even go down that path, okay? Why don't you invite them? Oh, they would say no. Well, did you invite them? No, because they will say no. Do you think Jesus cares about them? Yeah, I guess he does, but he'll say no. Okay, it's just that kind of attitude, and you just got to break yourself of that. But on uh, this, this, like there are people in this room more gifted, more talented, more know their boundaries, trust me, trust me, trust me, than I do. But when I moved to Wadsworth, I has had this one prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know any lost people. I know Scott, the Franks, I could begin to make a very short list of people here. I know the Hartzler's relatives, but that was it. I didn't know any lost people. So here was my prayer one August night, Lord, I want to meet some lost people. The next night, you're in Starbucks, you strike up a conversation with a 20-year-old kid, and you find out a little bit of background, and you go, what are you doing with your life now? And he says, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And you're like, dang, Lord, that was 24 hours. Come on, let's see some more answers to prayer. Since I've come to this city, God is so, he loves adventure. I've connected with more lost people in the last eight months or so than I ever have in that shorter period of time. One of them, this is, uh, this is a crazy story. One of them was a kid by the name of Cody who works at Sherwin-Williams. I go into Sherwin-Williams. This is in September of last year. I'm not asking you to be Scott, my wife, whoever, Jerry Hartzler. I'm asking you to take everything that you have that God has so graciously given you and live as big as you can for the goodness and the love of God. I go into Sherwin-Williams. This kid waits on me, and he just does an over-the-top job. And so I go, you are in the management program, right? He goes, no. My. And all of a sudden, and this, the more you take an interest in people, it's this really awkward thing the more you all of a sudden get way more than you bargained for, okay? Uh, once again, I've, my dear wife, she doesn't even like to go out to restaurants anymore because she knows it's going to get crazy, okay? It's just, that's me. What does it look like for you? And I go to this kid. I go, dude, are you in the management program? And he goes, no, I was interning, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. It didn't happen. My girlfriend is pregnant, and I am hearing my story from X years ago. I didn't share it then, but I just said, you're not in the management program? He goes, no, they rejected me. I was in the internship. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was studying business at Aquinu. I guess I'm just going to have to go find another job. That was my key point right there. That was the jump off. And I go, well, hey, give me your regional manager's name. He goes, why? And I go, because I'm going to call him and tell him you should be a manager. He goes, I could get fired. I go, let's do the math, kid. A week from now, you're quitting, and you're worried about getting fired. So what, what is going on here? He goes, okay. I go out to the car. I pick up the phone, dial the guy's number. I give voicemail. Surprise, surprise. And on the regional manager's voicemail, I leave this. Hello, Mike. My name is Mr. Farley, and I was just in the Wadsworth paint store, the Sherwin-Williams store. I had an experience. I need to talk to you about this now. Did you sound angry? Jesus said, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Okay? I think I fulfilled both ones. Check, check, right there. And I, then I watched my clock on my phone. 
seven minutes later. I don't say this should be how to get every return phone call, but it did work. <laughs> I get this call. Yes, Mr. Farley, this is so-and-so, Sharon Williams. Oh, Mike, how you doing? Uh, do you know Cody at the Wadsworth store? He goes, yeah. What about him? That kid's in the management program. Come on, these aren't the droids you're looking for. It was kind of along those lines, okay? And he goes, well, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know who he is. He, said, you know, he wants to say, I rejected him last week, but he can't say that. Why isn't that kid in the management program if he isn't? He, that kid, if you could have a store, and I, I sold him big because it was true. I get a text from Cody the next day because we traded phone numbers. He goes, I don't know what's going on, but got an email from my boss. He's coming to see me tomorrow. I get a text two days after that says, I'm in the management program. Now, it's a process. It was like, well, that's Jesus, Cody. I mean, that would just be weird, okay? <laughs> but time went on. He came to Alpha, and part of it was just a phone call in, I think, October, November, December, right in there. There's this Bruce, I want to marry Chelsea. I love her, da-da-da. Both our parents are divorced. They're like a lot of kids. They're not terrified of marriage. They're terrified of divorce. I go, well, let me tell you a little story. And I told him a story about going out with Jim Ryder on a morning two years into our marriage when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, at least for me, that this marriage was about to be train wrecked. Because I had so much anger. And so, have I been totally set free of everything in my life? No. But I knew I was at a point that something had to change. And Jim just took the time to share Jesus Christ with me. Ronnie Moore. Jim Ryder. I doubt anybody probably knows this name. Dan Beaver. I mean, these are people that poured into me. And I had to pay it forward. And that's why watching Cody. Cody, would you like to check out something called Alpha? Yeah, what's that? Da-da-da-da. Fast forward, February of this year, Cody comes to Alpha. And, you know, I'll just let the video speak for itself. It's real quick. I didn't say this in the first service, I'll say it now with real grace. If your Christian life seems boring, maybe it's because it is. There's something about being engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. Build a strong marriage, do this, do that, but there's something about being engaged in the mission. And let me just ask you a question. Be ready with this slide, John. Who are the lost people in your life? I'm keeping John busy. That God wants you to pray for, reach out to, and I hope for many of them in time, invite to Alpha. Well, once Alpha, it's the thing that's transforming London. Their churches begin to explode with it. Millennials love it. Why? Because they're heard and respected. 
say, man, that's a pretty cool story. I'm just being honest with you. I learned from the best. He was a big African-American guy in a town that was not very pretty at that time for people of color. He took every risk in the world, and he loved me. I learned from the best. About eight years ago, I was prepping a sermon, and we're going to wrap in this second. Jake, if you want to make your way on up here, about eight years ago, I was prepping a sermon, and I was kind of building it around Ronnie, just how awesome he was. And I realized, you know what? I, I don't know when the last, last time I saw him was at Colleen's dad's funeral a few years before that. And I thought, I want to call Ronnie up and say thank you. Because who wouldn't? And I checked directory assistance when it used to kind of mean something, and there's no Moores, Ronnie Moore in Wadsworth. It's like, what? Well, maybe you got a cell phone. My buddy Mick Sobey will know because they had some degree of contact. Because I hadn't been to Wadsworth other than very sporadically. I hadn't seen Ronnie, like I said, in like a few years. But I just wanted to say thank you. And I call Mick up and I go, Mick, do you have any contact info for Ronnie? And he said this, I am so sorry. I go, what do you mean? Ronnie died five years ago. I don't know why I didn't call you. Please forgive me. It was interesting what happened. First of all, this happened. I did the uh, Kubler-Ross stages seven stages of grief in about four minutes. Okay, it was just, no, grief, what? And then there was just this real quiet thought, you'll see him again, Bruce. And then I just broke. But it wasn't because he was dead. It was because I realized somehow We've ended up treating the heartbeat of Jesus and God the Father like an option, when in reality it's the key to so much joy. I love that video of Cody, not because I can pat myself on the back. He's alive. You'll see him in a few weeks. He's finishing up summer softball right now on Sunday. He's already signed up, but... Bruce, I've got to get to church. They're coming over for dinner this week. God wants to give you that joy. And trust me, after Jesus, the priorities of family, whatever that looks like for you in your current season of life, being a blessing to those in the body, we want to take a life of risk and invite others. Because the thought that this hit me when it was all over on that phone call, I hung up the phone, and here was my prayer. Lord, people are lost. Who will stand? Will you stand, please? We're going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary this morning. Um... I trust that so many of you will allow God to work this morning.
you don't know Jesus Christ, see myself, see this awesome leadership team. But we want to draw close to his side. And if you're here this morning like, Lord, I want my heart fully alive, or maybe it's, Lord, my list is already forming. I just want to encourage you as a church, as many of you who would feel so led or maybe you just need to take, your first step in the stand is a step. I would like you to come forward. And I mean, I, I, I hope the whole church just about is up here saying, Lord, I want my heart freshly engaged. I want to be close to your side, loving the world, hating the dark. And I want to be used by you. So we're going to begin to sing the song. We're going to end in three or four minutes.